Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words, and may all of our thoughts be your thoughts. We ask all of this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus said to a woman, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Man, oh man, would Jesus get in trouble if he said something like that in 2018? Let the children be fed first. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Talk about shaming. Jesus is doing miracles all over the place, so many that he can't go anywhere without crowds coming to him and finding him immediately. And this woman comes up to him begging. And it's not even for herself. She's, she's begging for her demon-beset daughter. She wants Jesus to wield his healing powers on her behalf. And it sounds like he responds with contempt. You're like a dog, unworthy of my attention. I've got these more important people to deal with. It's not a good look for Jesus. Now, of course, society sees its striations very differently in the first century than it does in the 21st, but one thing that wouldn't have changed all those years ago is how it would have felt to that woman to be addressed in that way. AD 18 or AD 2018, no one wants to be called or treated like a dog. So how can Jesus be so callous? How can he be so hard, so seemingly cruel? It's not our usual picture of what Jesus is like, is it? Normally, we think of Jesus as this gracious and loving and merciful healer meeting everyone from leper to prostitute in the exact place of their need. But not this time. Let the children be fed first. For it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now, to help us understand this interaction that Jesus has with the Syrophoenician woman, I want to compare it to another, perhaps better known, conversation of Jesus' one that he had with a rich young man. The story uh, can be found in both Matthew 19 and Mark 10. A rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're like me, you're like, wait, what? What did Jesus just say? Because you and I all, we all know that the correct answer to the what must I do to be saved question is nothing. Believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. There's nothing you have to do, right? Isn't that true? It's all about what you believe, in whom you place your faith. 
But Jesus doesn't tell the rich young man to simply believe in him. He tells him to follow the law, to obey the rules. But there's a slight hiccup. The young man thinks he's successfully doing it, and Jesus doesn't agree. He says, I've been doing all those things since I was a child. No problem, he's saying, child's play. And so Jesus keeps preaching the law to him, upping the ante, showing this rich young man just how high God's standard really is. He says, one thing you lack, go sell all you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and come and follow me. This is the equivalent of Jesus calling this young man a dog. Oh, you think you're following the law, do you? Let me show you what law following, what obedience really looks like. Oh, you think you're worthy, do you? Let me show you how unworthy, how like a dog you really are. And how does that rich young man react? Well, we read that he goes away sad, for he has many possessions. So Jesus is committed to bringing this young man to a place where he cannot escape his neediness. And confronted with it, he goes away. Because the rich young man doesn't actually think that he's that needy. After all, as he says, he's been obeying God's law with no problems for his whole life. He's not selfish until Jesus shows him how selfish he really is. Now this action, this showing a sinner their sin, is why the commandments, why the law was given. I have a friend who got married the same week that I did, and so for a few months we were sort of marriage buddies, uh, comparing notes. How's it going? Uh, And on one of these phone calls, he told me that he was grateful for his marriage because it was really helping him become less selfish. I experienced that as a knife stab into my heart. I, I told him I was really grateful and glad to hear that for him, but that I was less grateful for myself as my young marriage was only serving to show me again and again in a dozen different ways how selfish I was and was remaining. Uh, St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says that he wouldn't even have known what coveting was until the law came and said, do not covet. And then all of a sudden, he says, all kinds of covetousness sprung up inside him. Now, we all are familiar with how this works, right? You never want something more than when it's forbidden. What do you mean I can't have that cookie? What do you mean I can't play video games? or go on this trip, or do this thing or that thing, now it will become the thing that I completely obsess over. The law is given to show our sin, to reveal our need for a Savior. This is what Jesus is doing with this rich young man when he preaches the law to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Go sell all you have. Give the proceeds to the poor. Follow me. Do this. And Jesus is showing this Syrophoenician woman the exact same thing when he tells her that she's undeserving of his attentions. Maybe not any particular sin in her life, but her sinfulness. The fact that in the eyes of God, she is in fact unworthy. But then a miracle happens. She doesn't react like that rich young man. She doesn't go away. She does something that human beings almost never do. She confesses. When you or I are called a dog, or insulted or demeaned in any way, we immediately get defensive. We fight back. I am not unworthy. Give me one second here and I'll show you just how worthy I am. And when Jesus says these words to the woman, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, I could almost feel the hair on our necks start to stand up. We, all, we can get our fighting impulse ready to go as we hear the words, Oh, really, Jesus? You want to take this outside? Defensiveness like this is a product of self-righteousness. One comes from the other. Defensiveness comes from self-righteousness. When you feel yourself getting defensive, it's because you think you're right, or worthy, or justified. By a miracle, though, this woman, begging to Jesus for the healing of her daughter, has been drained of any self-righteousness. Called a dog, she owns it. Yes, she might as well be saying, I am a dog. I'm not right. I'm not worthy. I'm not justified. Have mercy on me. And Jesus, our merciful Savior, does exactly that. For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon, gone. Defensiveness, the product of self-righteousness, leads to abandonment. Like the rich young man, we go away from Jesus sad. We don't need the saving that seems to be all he has to offer, so too bad. But honesty and confession lead to absolution and new life. A child lying on the bed who can now rest. The demon is gone. Now this truth, the good news of Christ's mercy to sinners, has become the very cornerstone of our worship. Each week we come together and confess that like this Syrophoenician woman, we are sinners unworthy of Christ's attention. And each week we celebrate his body and blood, broken and shed for unworthy sinners like us. We've even enshrined this particular story right at the center of our celebration. 
after we've confessed and been absolved, and just before we literally taste that forgiveness, we say the prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. In that one sentence, taken directly from this story, we have all of Christianity in microcosm. First, the law. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But then, always then, the gospel. You are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. And today, on account of Christ, that mercy is poured out on you. Amen.